Welcome into episode four of the House of L podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Holmes, and I'm excited about our guests for today. Today's guest is Mark Shanowski from NBC Sports Chicago, and I'll get more into explaining what our conversation is about in just a minute. Before that, I wanted to welcome our new sponsor of the podcast, Melly Cafe. I'm glad that they jumped on board because it's a place that I actually go to. It's a place that I really like. And one of the things that I want to make sure I do on this podcast is if I'm going to bring advertisers into it, I want to bring in advertisers that I genuinely have a connection with. So that that's kind of the goal is to partner up with people that you genuinely have a connection with. And Melly Cafe has been great. They got three locations, Halstead and Jackson, Grand and Wells, and Dearborn and Congress. Halstead and Jackson is the one where Mel and I are probably most likely to be at. But because they're so close to DePaul's Loop Campus, I spend a lot of time at the Dearborn and Congress location as well. That location also has dinner. So just keep that in mind. Follow them on Twitter at Melly, M-E-L-I, Cafe Chicago. That's also their Instagram tag. And you can see some of the incredible food that they have for you. They've brought food over at the score. They're really, really good. They do the freshly squeezed juices and all sorts of stuff. So if you can support the people who support me, I would be ever grateful and you will be satisfied with an incredible meal. Now on to episode four. I like talking to people that I know well, like Jason Goff and Cheryl Scott, but I also enjoy talking to people like Mark Shanowski, who I know professionally, but I don't know him super well. He, he's someone who I really respect. I respect what his career has been throughout his tenure, almost 30 years in Chicago. And we had a, a great conversation about a lot of things, including Jordan versus LeBron, which is always a hot topic <laughs> for for us in in the the world of sports but we talked about the the business of broadcasting and how it's changed and how you have to be able to adapt in over 30 years to still be working in a market like this and doing all sorts of stuff that 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 Mark is doing cuz he does an incredible job on NBC Sports Chicago doing Bulls pre and post it was great to chop it up with him and get his advice and in this conversation, we also talk about the advice that he had for his daughter, who is now in the business. And I found out some stuff about Mark that I didn't know, especially his passion for play-by-play. So I hope you enjoy it. This was a really good, quick pod. We, we only talk for like 20 minutes, but there's a lot of information in there. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's episode four. Mark Shanowski. I think about seventh grade is when I decided I wanted to get into broadcasting. Uh, you know, back then, not many games were on television. You get a handful of games. Of course, you get the national game of the week. And I was a huge basketball junkie. I loved to play. I would go out in the backyard and I would shoot for hours at a time. My parents were always yelling at me to get inside and do your homework or, or supper's ready. Come on inside. Um, if the, they would have had a three-point line back when I played, I'd have been dangerous. Really? I could shoot the heck out of it, but not a great athlete. So, which, which high school? 
I went to Pulaski High School in Milwaukee. Okay. And we we actually won the city conference my senior year. We had one one of my best friends was a hell of a player. He went to uh, Kent State on a D one scholarship, and and he uh, he kind of carried us most of the way. Can you still shoot? Oh yeah, I can still shoot. Yeah. I actually went to the gym today and shot around for about forty five minutes, and you know it, you have to be careful when you get older. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know my my first like catastrophic injury came freshman year playing basketball and I mean I shredded my ankle I put a it's so bad they had to fuse three bones into one and I oh, you know, I've got a yeah. screw in my ankle because of it and it kind of kept me away from from <laughs> basketball because it it's so funny Mark because I I found out what I loved and what I loved was playing baseball so <laughs> so that was what I focused on for but it felt good to like just go in the gym an empty gym over at UFC and just shoot the ball a little bit do you play pickup I used to, you know, you talk about catastrophic injuries. I came close to one. We used to play a bunch of guys in the in the TV sportscasters used to get together and play on a, on a Wednesday, Thursday afternoon. And the last time I played, I think I was about forty one, and was playing really well. We, we were going to play one more game, you know, that old one more, one more game before we go. And I felt something in my calf starting to starting to go, and it, it was a partially torn muscle. And I'm like, I think my basketball career is over. Who who were in those games? It was uh, it was Mark Sapelsa. It was Corey McFerrin would play at times. Bunch of guys from Channel Five. Bunch of the camera guys who were really good. You remember uh, Mike McGovern? Oh yeah, he was a heck of a player. Really good athlete. He could shoot it. Uh, Eric, uh, why am I blanking on his last name? Radio fame. Eric. Eric Brown? No 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 no. Um, Eric, the top rated show in Eric and, Eric and Kathy. Yeah yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. He played. He good. Really good player too. Really. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, and and every now and again, uh, you know, we had some guys would bring their friends who used to be college players. And at times, the games got pretty competitive. Uh, uh, Darian Chapman played, and you know, we, there lot, my friend Jeff Glick played. We had a bunch of guys that uh, that were working at NBC Five, and and these games would, you know, we get go to the gym at ten thirty, uh, work up a heck of a sweat, take a shower, and go to work. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. When did you know that you? you had it, that you were going to make it in a market like Chicago? Well, I don't think I ever knew whether I would be able to make it in Chicago. But, you know, back to your original question, you know, we back then, since there weren't many games on television, we listened to the radio. And there was a guy named Eddie Doucette who, worked, who did the Milwaukee Bucks games. And all of my friends, we'd listen to these games religiously. And that was back when they were able to draft Lou Cinder. Mm-hmm. Became, of course, became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And you talk about exciting times in a small town like Milwaukee. To, to get a player of that caliber in your city, they won one title, should have won two. They lost to Boston in seven games in 1974. But the way Eddie Doucette used to be able to describe the action, you know, I could see everything that was going on because he was so good at his craft. And I thought, one day that's that's what I want to do. Um the realities of the broadcasting medium has kind of pushed me towards the TV side, the the broadcast news side. Um, but I, I think my passion was initially in the play-by-play realm. I would have loved to have been able to do play-by-play. And there were different times in my career where I, I tried to do some stuff, never really got my foot in the door there. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you look at your career that, that spanned all these decades, and I never really got to do what I wanted to do. Is there some regret there? Yeah, yeah, there is. Because um, I think I would have been really good at it. And and 
the thing is when you have a degree of success in one aspect of the business and you start advancing and the checks get bigger and you're going, well, maybe this isn't so bad. But I know that there were times at NBC Sports Chicago where I would I would talk to the program guy and say, we're doing these UIC games. We're doing Loyola games. Why don't you let me do play-by-play? Never happened. And that is a that is a regret. Do you think that there's there's room? Would it would it satisfy you at this point in your career if an opportunity like that came up now? To maybe it's once or twice a year. Would you still be willing to do? Oh that? yeah, I I would jump at that. I would love to do that because you know as I said, I can still remember the the seventh grader me visualizing how cool it was for a guy to be able to describe the action so well and with so much enthusiasm that you could see the game come to life. That's a real talent. That's, that's something special. That's why I have a, a world of respect for radio play-by-play guys because it's not, it's not easy to do, and the ones that do it well uh, are doing such a great service because so many people are busy, and they're out in their cars, and they're running around, and if you can make a game come to life like that, you really, you really can make a person's day. I, it's corny, but I've always felt that play-by-play is the truest form of journalism. Tell me what you saw. Right. This is what I saw. This is what right. just happened. And I was lucky enough, I was in the booth a, a few weeks ago with Pat Hughes, and a fan came into the booth, and, and she's legally blind. And she said that, that Pat Hughes is her favorite cup. Because Pat Hughes is able mm-hmm. to bring her yeah, the game. Yeah. She came in with, with a used jersey. You know, it was his name and Ron Santos' number. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, of course, you do play-by-play, so you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I would love to have that experience of you know, taking the headset off and going, we did a good job today. You know, we, we called that game really well, and it wasn't that cool the way everything unfolded. I mean, it's, it, is, it is reality radio. I mean, it's, it's, it's real life happening right in front of you. And, and I don't think you can capture that really anywhere else. Because of your background as a player, would you want to just do basketball? Have you ever had any uh, inkling of doing play-by-play for football or baseball? Well, because I, I haven't even been able to do basketball. I never even thought about the other <laughs> options. I mean, it's been hard enough with uh, with my resume. I couldn't even get my foot in the door to do basketball. So I don't think anybody's going to be asking me to do uh Football or baseball or, or God forbid hockey because oh. hockey hockey would be impossible. I, I mean I, I can't even imagine. I listen to John Wideman. I'm like, what are you doing? I how could you possibly call it an action that's happening so fast? In I, front of you? I think that's so impressive. Like for for play by play guys and even even at the the national level, Doc calls a television broadcast the way that you would call a radio broadcast. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is amazing about him is that he could easily let the the, the picture right. tell the story. But he's such a good storyteller that you're yeah. getting a little bit extra than you ordinarily would from a TV guy. Yeah, for most casual fans, they only come across him during the Stanley Cup final. You know, they're not li- watching games during the regular season on on NBC or at wherever else. You know, he may be working. Um, they get a chance for that national showcase during the the Cup final, and and everyone seems to enjoy it. And whether your team's in it or not, he does have a way of of bringing that action to life. What was your favorite story that you covered? Yeah, that's. I mean, there have been there have been so many instances where you know there have been heartbreaking stories, there have been championships, there have been colossal failures. Um, you know, I think really, I know it's. I wish I could come up with something better, but off the top of my head, it was just the whole Michael Jordan thing because you know I came in 
1990, so that was just about when they were ready to take off. And he was so engaging back then, you know, before his first retirement. He would talk about anything you wanted to talk about. You go to his locker before the game, you know, you could talk about baseball. You could talk about a show you watched on TV or that the two of you may have seen. He, he was just a, such a down-to-earth personality. And then, you know, to, to kind of come in just as he was exploding as a, as a national icon was just, it was just an amazing story to watch. And, you know, the, the tragedy of, of his father getting killed and, and stepping away from basketball. And then when he came back, he was different. You know, he wasn't the same guy anymore. He was always surrounded by security. He was very much more guarded with the media. Um, you know, he didn't really s- spend a lot of free time at his locker. You know, he was he was deeply affected by what happened to his dad. And, you know, it ch- changed his life forever. Uh, the whole, that's why, you know, now when people talk about the greatest of all time, the whole Michael LeBron debate, you know, being through it personally and seeing all the things Jordan did to lift that team, you know, he was never hurt. He would play through almost anything because he had that killer mentality. He always wanted to, you know, do whatever he could to, to cut your heart out. And, and to see LeBron at times visibly quit in certain situations, you know, to me, I don't know how you can have that discussion about who's the greatest of all time when you consider some of the situations where Jordan would always lift up the group around him and LeBron, I think at times, is is going to be a finger pointer. You know, things aren't going because those guys aren't good enough. And and I don't think you would have heard that from Michael. Considering how rock star esque that group of Bulls were, first the Jordan titles and then the second. How do you cover that? Like, well, what's what was important to you in the storytelling phase to to give to the viewer when you were out? at the Berto Center or, or the UC covering what the Bulls were doing? Well, I think people wanted any kind of inkling into what the dynamic was behind the team. Now, it's very difficult to penetrate the barriers that are put up, uh, especially when a team gets as big as the Jordan Bulls were. I mean, even at practices at the Berto Center, they literally put up uh, curtains to block our view of the locker room. And every now and again, someone would poke their head out from behind the curtain and just almost in a taunting fashion about, do you think you guys are going to talk to me today? Nah, I don't have any time. And the access to those guys was tough. So the competition amongst the TV stations, and I'm sure the radio and, and newspapers as well, was who can tell a story that hasn't been heard before? Who can take us behind that curtain and give, a, give us a little inkling of what those guys were about? And, you know, it's a shame that more of the stories didn't come to light, at least from the TV medium, you know, the whole breakfast club with Ron Harper and, and Pip and Jordan lifting weights. And it would have been great if, if anyone would have had the good fortune to be able to bring that story to life in the television medium. And it never really happened because Michael was, was very, you know, after the, when he came back after the uh, dabbling with baseball, he was very different and he really kind of closed ranks. And th- th- a lot of those stories would have been great and even now, we're just getting snippets of it from different retired players. You know, I work with Will Perdue, and, you know, it's funny. He doesn't really have too much access either because he wasn't on the, the inside of, of Jordan's group. And, you know, he's got stories from practice and games and stuff like that. But, but Michael, you know, didn't let everybody in. How have you seen the industry, particularly television, change from when you started to what you're doing now? And how... How does one tell a story now and make it compelling to, to the viewer? 
things have changed so dramatically. I barely recognize the medium. You know, when I first started, we were, you know, television was the, was the only local news was the only game in town. And you basically had access to tell whatever stories you wanted to tell from the, from the youth and high school level, all the way through to the, the top teams in the professional ranks. And, you know, we had more access. We had more ability to spend longer periods of time with athletes and more time to tell those stories on the air. Now it seems like everything has to be short and quick because for whatever reason, the perception is that people's attention spans aren't what they used to be. I don't necessarily believe that, but the prevailing thought in the industry is that everything should be 90 seconds or less because otherwise someone's going to get bored and they're going to flip to the next thing on their phone. I, I, it's funny because I feel like I'm, I really enjoy not every long form piece that I read because some of them are not great, but a lot of them are. And I like this. Like, I love the fact that we're sitting here talking. And I think that there is an appreciation for the long form aspect right. of this. So, how do we package that and give it to a consumer that is fickle? I mean, the, the consumer is very fickle now. And how do we we grab them and keep them? Yeah, that's the big challenge. And that's what broadcasting executives all across the world are trying to figure out right now because, you know, people are going away from traditional newscasts and, and traditional shows on on television. Even, you know, the giants in the industry are, are dealing with the same issues that people don't want to watch half hour wrap up shows or or, or long form features because they get bored. Um I still think that if a story is told well, I don't think it really matters what the subject matter is. It can be it can be compelling and it, it will make people take notice. But, you know, now it seems like everything is catered towards brevity and making it easy for the consumer to take it in. Um, but I think that we're doing a disservice to a lot of our, our viewers and listeners by not giving them more long form. Your daughter's in the industry. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting because initially my son, who's older than my daughter, saw, saw me on TV and thought, hey, you're covering Michael Jordan. You're doing all these great things. That's what I want to do. And I said, yeah, but it's very difficult to get past the entry-level stage and advance to a market where you can actually make enough money to support your family and feel like you know, you're having a, a fulfilling career. Um Thankfully, he got interested in going to law. He just graduated from Northwestern Law School, and he's got a job waiting for him here in Chicago. So I couldn't be more proud of him. His name's Eric. And, and my daughter, Brooke, is now working at uh, WMBD-WYZZ. It's a CBS-Fox combination in Peoria. She does weather on the weekends. She does news reporting during the week, and sh she's doing a really good job. She's only 23. She just started but hopefully, you know, at, at some point she'll progress to working in a really good market and, and having a really fulfilling career. What advice do you give her? I just told her that you have to try to insulate yourself from some of the criticisms that, that you're going to hear, whether it's from your peers, whether it's from your immediate bosses, whether it's from people on social media. You just kind of have to put your head down and work at what you know is going to make you a better broadcaster. I think sometimes... People in, in this industry think that they have to create a persona that is going to sell and that, you know, I think the best advice that, that I've got and that, that anybody can receive is you just got to be yourself because if you're trying to put on this persona, sometimes you forget what the act is, you know, I think you got you got to be true to yourself and, and, you know, I think the one challenge that you, I think a lot of television broadcasters face is 
you know, we use teleprompter and you want to make sure it doesn't come across that you're just reading words. You, you want to be able to tell a story within, no matter how short your, your time on the air might be, you want to make sure that you're making a connection with your viewers, that they feel like you're talking to them, that you're not just reading words off a teleprompter. Now, weather is the toughest gig there is because they're out there with no net. I tell all the time, I, I say, Brooke, I can't do what you do because no script. You know, if, if all of a sudden those maps aren't going in the right progression, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's nobody there to bail you out. <laughs> so I have a world of respect and admiration for what all weather forecasters do because, you know, I've seen it go bad <laughs> and it can be a real train wreck. Do you remember being broke in this industry? Yeah. Oh, many times, many times. I mean, I started out in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I think I was making $160 a week and I was working, living in a small apartment, but you know, it was a small staff. We were all right out of college and we would shoot each other's stories and we'd, we'd look where the drink specials were. And we, you know, we, we, we were together like it was a team, you know, we'd, we'd hang out and we'd do a lot of things together. And those were good times. It was almost like a, a second uh, college experience because nobody had any money. And we were just finding ways to try to get the product on the air and, and have some fun when we were off the air. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. It was fun, Lawrence. You know, uh, we went some directions I didn't think we'd go. So, uh, you know, your <laughs> listeners probably learned a lot more about me than they might have known for the 28 years I've been in Chicago. That's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. Well, and to get advice fun. from people who actually have done it and done it well and what their journey is like. That's kind of what I want to do with the, the House of L podcast. So I'm glad that, that you were down for giving. And, yeah. and, and it's always nice when an uh, interview subject gives of themselves. Well, it was a great experience. And, and, you know, good luck with the podcast going forward. And, you know, it's great to have you as a teammate as well as NBC Sports Chicago. You brought a lot of great energy, a lot of great stuff to our Bears coverage. And we look forward to having you for a long time. I hope you enjoyed that because Mark really laid down some nuggets of information in that time that we were talking, it was so great to sit in the room and, and really have a long discussion about this industry and how it can change, how it can be better. I'm glad that he talked a little bit about his family, too. I thought that was cool to hear him discuss that. And I'm glad that he gave of himself. Those are the best type of interviews when someone maybe gives more than they were expecting to give. For being a guest on the podcast, he is going to get a $50 gift card to Melly Cafe, our new sponsor. They have three locations, Halston, Jackson, Grand and Wells, and Dearborn and Congress. Great place for breakfast or brunch. The Dearborn and Congress location is also open for dinner. They have great crepes. If if you're someone who's into crepes, you are going to love it. Uh, And thank you for supporting people that support this podcast. I'm going to throw out an extra podcast later on this week. If you're listening in the week that it drops, there'll be an extra podcast later on this week. I have a follow-up to an interview that I did last year that I really needed to put something to. I, I was told something by a friend of mine about the University of Chicago that I didn't focus in on in the discussion that I had with Dave Revson, if that gives you any idea. So make sure you're looking out for that. If you're on iTunes, we appreciate you subscribing. The direct downloads are great. Like looking at the map and seeing that there's a country on every continent that someone is listening to this podcast 
is incredible. It's amazing. So I wanted to thank you for that as well. Appreciate you. We'll see you next time later on this week if you're listening the week of the recording.